Hi guys, this is Paul from the Innovation Community. Thanks for tuning in. Today, I'm here with Augusto Marola, uh, Associate Director of Marketing Transformation at Procter & Gamble. Uh, Augusto is a, a marketing and CRM guru focused on transforming Pampers from a traditional mass advertiser into a, a content marketing player. So, a very interesting place to be with us. Thank you for inviting me. Super happy to be here and maybe share some of the experience. Fantastic. So uh, I, I gave you a bit of brief on your background there. Tell us a little bit more about yourself in a few words. Um, so I'm Argentinian. Um, I've been working for PNG almost for 15 years, way more than I thought I would. Uh, I started off uh, back in the day in Argentina and I worked on marketing and sales, several brands, several you know, um, customer teams. Uh, eventually, I went to the regional offices in Panama. This was seven years ago uh, when I really started focusing on bumpers, on CRM, digital marketing, and digital business as a whole, uh, which was a very interesting time because at the same time, my wife had her uh, e-commerce. So it was interesting for me because I could learn, you know, both from a corporate world and from an entrepreneurial world. And this is where my um, appeal for startups and entrepreneurship also started. Uh, and three and a half years later, I came here to Geneva to the global team uh, for this uh, challenge of really transforming a, you know, a very big brand, one of the biggest in PNG uh, that has been around for more than 60 years and modernize it uh, in order to be able to cope with the challenges that we have uh, currently you know, between the startups and the new brands and all the consumer choice and the whole disruption around media. So essentially our goal is um, really to transform from uh, a brand that was built upon TV and mass media into a fully digital brand where we can really personalize our communication uh, for the right individual and the right time. Yeah, and you, you touched on digital there. Where did your digital and data career really start? Where did it move from, from you know, more traditional marketing to, to more digital? It's a cool story, actually. So when I, well, this is cool for me. Uh, when I went to, to Panama, I had like two big parts of my role. Um, I managed a traditional business, let's say. So I had all the distributor markets. So, you know, all the islands in the Caribbean, um, some markets uh, like uh, Uruguay, Paraguay, and so on. <clears throat> and I was also tasked with the digital uh, marketing, let's say, of Pampers for the region. So, and I remember at the time I talked with my general manager, I told, them, told him, you know, the business part I really like, this is what I was used to, this digital thing, what's this? Like, this should not be my priority. This is what I told him. And he tells me, uh, look, this is the future and the present. I give you 30 days and you tell me if you like it or not. If you don't, I will change you. But, you know, make the effort. And honestly, in those 30 days, I literally fell in love. I started reading about content marketing, CRM. You know, three years later, I started to read about growth hacking. So that's really where my passion with digital data, new businesses, new business models um, started. And since that moment, this is what I want to dedicate my career to, you know. So uh, I, because I believe 
definitely this is the it's not only the future right it's the present like if we are not proficient in you know in data in uh, in growth in digital like if we don't know words like api or script or you know python or whatever we really as marketers and business people i don't think we'll have a fruitful career in the next five years because this is how consumers operate now and this is the way you can actually create and grow business so that's how i started that's a, a great story from from three years ago but we're still seeing today that kind of resistance as well which is interesting and um and i think that's probably a big part of your role as well but today what really interests you about working with data um look i think uh you know there's more data than ever before there's more processing power and storage than ever before and there's more you know intelligence that we can apply to data that goes well beyond our cognitive abilities let's say and especially beyond our biases right so you know when you when you read on on decision psychology and when you read on behavioral marketing or behavioral just you know life we are full of biases right we are full of partial views of the world um and i do think at the same time we have a great power in our you know intuition now to me if we merge the amazing data that we have and all the intelligence that we can put on top of data plus our intuition i think that's where the magic happens and where you can really impact whatever you're trying to do right your business your personal development uh, your teams so i think data in the end empowers us to go you know beyond our limited view and it really um magnifies uh the impacts uh, because essentially you uncover insights that you didn't know were there you can make connections that are not obvious and this is what to me is fascinating because once you hit on an insight like that one you know which is three four five whys afterwards that's where you can really understand what's going on and actually you know make an intervention that drives um, whatever you're trying to drive and you know i think it takes a lot of uh, guts to come on here and say hey i i was resistant i'm i'm now even though i'm now like a an advocate for data i was initially resistant as well and and i yeah. think that, that we need to balance that with some of the major successes that you've achieved over your career um so i mean it, it it's definitely a process you know and to me it was a, a you know when i was even studying and starting my career data was like a how to say, like, you know, just for a few people, and it wasn't a cool thing to do, right? It was strategy or vision, uh, at least, you know, in my context. And with time, I realized there's no strategy or vision without having the data and without having the skills to work with the data. So, you know, for us, for example, uh, I remember back when I was in, in Panama, um, what I realized, and this would be a very basic thing, but you know we had huge advertising budgets right uh, we deployed these budgets facebook and youtube and programmatic and so on but nobody knew how to do it right and we delegated this let's say knowledge or lack of knowledge into agencies i believe this was one of the big problems of fmcg in general so when i started to deep, you know deep dive into that and and try to really master it um, I realized that most of us didn't know what we were doing. 
agencies didn't know what they were doing either because they had also come from the traditional world. So one of the big interventions we did at the time was instead of having every market do their own, you know, digital media and therefore making the same mistakes over and over and therefore not learning from each other, we literally centralized all of this. So imagine search, paid like PPC, um, Facebook, YouTube, and so on. We centralized this in a single group that was doing it for all of the countries in Latin America. So Brazil, Argentina, Chile, and so on. And, you know, there were very basic things like as basic as the tagging was wrong, right? And I kept seeing this over and over again. So when we built this hub and we, you know, had a specific team in our agencies and then a specific team on our side that, you know, created the capability on how to actually manage this and how to improve this, that's where we started to get really good results in terms of engagement and reach and frequency, which were the measures that were relevant at that time. Um, and then, you know, another example being here. So what we are doing is, is quite challenging because we are figuring out a new, you know, communication model, a new business model for the brand. Um, and it's, you know, it's a very specific brand because our consumers, um, you know, lifetime is just three years, right? You get pregnant, then you have your baby, and then two years later, you're out of diapers. So we have a really limited window where we can actually connect with these consumers, serve them, and, you know, um, profit from this service that we provide. So, um, you know, a, a great um, data-related um, success, I remember, is we, we didn't know if our vision and hypothesis actually worked because it was unproven, right? We had a strategy, we had a vision, we thought it would work, but we didn't actually know. So my first learning is you never know what works until you try, you know? And for this, we essentially decided to have a pilot market. So we chose one market, we aligned this internally and so on. And then we worked for two years on cracking this model and on learning if it was doable or not. And of course, as we were working on this, we learned new stuff. We stumbled upon opportunities, and we also realized a lot of things that didn't work. Um, but after two years, we were able to achieve very significant milestones. Like today, you know, in the U.S., we uh, have registered above 30% of U.S. parents in our ecosystem, which is huge for any brand. Um, and we learned to do that through doing and through the power of looking at data, right? Because, you know, that's the only way. So we essentially incorporated also several kind of growth hacking principles. So, you know, taking a small set of um, investment, a small set of activities, learning our way through them, really optimizing and only then scaling. And this enabled us to show that the model was possible, then enabled us to go to more markets. So then we had three big markets. Um, and as we achieved similar results, in those three big markets, then the organization said, okay, this is actually possible, you know, and we show different ways of monetizing this and different ways of converting users into relevant actions, um, all the way to a point where today our challenge is not incubating anymore. It's really scaling up to our top markets. So you're talking, how do you implement this model in more than 10 markets, uh, which is moving our startup team to a fully scaled uh, operation, and that's the challenge we have now. 
Um, and uh, honestly, that's the biggest success, let's say, of my career because it was the biggest challenge. It still is, you know, it's not so that all. And definitely it's not me, right? We have a huge team and we have a lot of partners all over the place to to achieve this. Mm. Yeah, and I think that, that having that entrepreneurial mindset in big organizations is is actually another factor that's going to make or break a lot of the big, the big Fortune 500s over the next few years. Um, <laughs> Uh, actually yeah. yeah go ahead no I'm, you know I, I think that's critical because every big company is trying to figure this out right do you buy a startup do you create a startup do you invest in a startup um, we are all trying to see what's the best way um, our model is a bit uh, of a hybrid in the sense that within a big global brand we have a dedicated team that is a startup let's say or is tasked with being a, a startup but the way you operationalize that is critical because I've, I've seen and I connect a lot with peers because we are all trying to learn how to do this. Um, I've seen that when the team tasked with this is really away from the organization, it's very hard to do because yes, you can incubate and pilot, but when you, want, when you really want to impact the full business, you need to come back into the core of the business because a disruptive transformation needs to be at the core of you know, the business you're working on. And when they try to do this, there's a lot of resistance because people working in the core business don't really know who you are, what you did, how you did it, and actually feel very feared and threatened, right? Because you are essentially challenging how they are used to operate. At the same time, if you are way too embedded, you can't actually move. So you get lost in bureaucracy and approvals and processes, which is one of the issues that today we have as big companies. So achieving the right balance between having a specific mission with different KPIs that are not delivering the day-to-day, that are not delivering this year, but actually delivering the transformation in a way that you are empowered, but at the same time connected with the business, that is what has worked for us. And and it's very fine line uh, between being able to do in an autonomous way, uh, but not too disconnected that you get, you know, you get no traction in the organization when you need that traction to achieve the full transformation. Mm. That, that makes that makes perfect sense. And tell me about another time that you affected change in a major organization, and also some of the uh, some of the challenges that came with that. Um. So, so I would say um, the biggest challenge in terms of organization I've had is. Today, our team is 17 plus people, right? We started with four. Um, and the challenge in disruptive innovation is um, when, when the context changes and when you're actually tasked with doing disruptive innovation, most likely you don't have the skills to do that. You don't have the knowledge to do that. You don't have the profiles to do that, right? Especially if you're in a big company because you're a legacy company, legacy way of thinking, legacy way of operating. So my challenge was how do we actually create a team that is fit for this uh, mission, you know? And by that, I mean, who, you know, what's the right profile to bring in from the organization? Right? Because to me, there always needs to be a balance, right? You need to have people, let's say, from PNG or Pampers that can have the possibility of changing their mindset, way of operating, uh, you know, 
but you need them because they know the organization. And in the end, you are still part of this company, right? So just to give you an example, um, operating with data. So typically, typical brand or marketing folks, we are not deep into data because data was not strategic, right? So, but today you need to master Google Analytics. You need to master Crazy Egg. You need to know what an API is. You need to have some level of coding. You need to be able to have a discussion with engineers, with data scientists, right? So we had to bring people who could do this shift and who could actually love the process of data and love working in the details and in the super granular details of, you know, what's going on with this custom audience and that custom audience and what's going on with this, you know, um, uh, let's say particular ad versus another one. So this was the part of the challenge. The second one in a company like PNG where we are not used to hiring from outside and we have a very strong culture, how do we bring necessary skills from the outside that will upskill our team? Because we need it, we all need it to upskill. Um, so identifying the talents that will bring the skills, but at the same time will kind of fit into the organization and hit the chemistry of the team as well. That was critical and, and a second challenge. And personally, for me and the other leaders in the team, we needed to all the time be ahead, right? So for us, it was a, it is a constant learning and learning on you know what's new and what are the new um, skills to learn. Uh, and the way I think of my team is like a T-shaped team, right? So you need to know significantly about several um, disciplines, you know, SEO, paid content marketing. Um, UX, UI, optimization, CRO, etc. But then you need to be an expert in a few of them, and having different people like this is what enables you know the team to be T-shaped. And I do believe because today business is so complex, you need to have all the skills. Um, and this is the transformation we had to do, which again in the context of a company that has a grow from within approach, and that was heavily reliant on internal training. We had to essentially disrupt that as well. So we had to disrupt how we recruited people, how we trained our people. So every year we have a three-day training. Uh, the first time was on product management uh, because, again, PNG was brand management, not product management as in Apple, Google, Facebook, whatever. Then it was growth hacking. Then it was growth loops, you know, to break the silos. Um, so this was, the, I would say, the third challenge. And then the other one is when you are um, trying to operate like a startup, but you're part of a big company, you need to break processes. You need to, you know, so we had to essentially agree with management on a different way to delegate funds, on a different way to get approval, on a different way to actually even hire vendors. So we work with a bunch of startups um, that were not the classical PNG vendors, and we needed to find a way of doing that, not by a process of a year, right? So in a couple of months or a couple of weeks. So I, I would say, you know, this um, transformation on how we hire, how we train, how we actually get things done was the biggest transformation we had to do, you know, in the organization. And when you're talking about the the biggest consumer goods company in the world, actually changing that mindset is, is going to be a huge challenge. And it sounds like you, 
there's been some really good steps taken to address that. Um, and you mentioned that there's a lot of knowledge that needs to go in, not just for the, the new people coming in, technical people, but also for established business leaders about um, you know, general coding, general a API. What kind of uh, technology are you currently leveraging to your advantage? And more importantly, what effects do you think that technology will have over the next few years? Um, so look, in my team, um, you know, we don't, there's no, we, you know, I have, I don't have like business leaders, I have product managers, uh, and then we don't have IT, we have solution managers. So we are purposefully trying to break these barriers because, you know, you need both sets of skills, you know, and I have uh, great examples from someone who started in IT and then went to product manager, did a great job, came back to IT, they were around uh, a data scientist we have, he's amazing on understanding the business. So um, it really requires, you know, that you, that you blend all these disciplines, you know? Um, and, for, and why? Because the basis of our, of our work is technology, right? We, we have a huge website, you know, in all the, our top markets, we have a very big CRM program, we have a very, um, we have also like a loyalty app, which is a critical part of our ecosystem and our overall strategy. And if I were to mention, for example, um, when you look at the whole ecosystem, we have, we work in BDU, so we have Big Data U, we have Brace, we have Segment, um, we have all the top-notch vendors, let's say, or partners that any technology company would have. Um, we have also our own algorithms. So in order to operate out of this, you need to know the technology. Like my team needs to know Brace to the detail because they are working on all these campaigns. In media, the same thing, right? So if we are trying to qualify a new stack of programmatic because we think there are challenges with what we have, you have to know the technology because there's no way to actually even identify what's not working, you know? Um, so, so this is the kind of technology that we leverage. Um, and look, in terms of the effects of technology, uh, I really like the book from Kevin Kelly, you know, uh, with the 12 trends that will impact uh, our life uh, based on technology. I think, uh, you know, I, I usually don't try to predict, let's say, because I don't think we can, honestly. I, I only have a, a vision for two, three years, because uh, I think that's a max we can actually try to predict. Um, I think in terms of, of the effects, for sure, uh, you know, same as before, when you added electricity to anything, then that became useful. Now we are adding technology, like uh, smart or a brain to everything, right? With AI and, and with machine learning. Um, so I think things will get progressively smarter and complex. I think our life as business people or marketers is definitely getting more complex and will continue to be. The biggest skill I think we need to have is the ability to relearn and be in a constant state of learning and a constant state of uncertainty because that's just how it works. Um, I think for the consumer, um, you know, expectations go through the roof, right? And it's the same for you and I as consumers, right? You expect things now fast, integrated, um, seamless, personalized, so all of these trends that we know. I think um, 
yeah, the, the, the major effect I see is really complexity, right? So while we will, you know, there's a ton of benefits, there's also a ton of uh, complexities. And then there are some, you know, other more, let's say, ethical challenges. Uh, I'm a lot into, you know, personal development and the human side of all of us. And I think in a world with, you know, where we're sunk into our phone and all the time with apps, how these apps are engineered, how the phones are actually created um, to trigger, you know, several behavioral, um, biological, um, you know, actually triggers in the human body and mind. I think that that is something that will be of more and more concern, you know, for us as humans, let's say. So in that sense, beyond the business side. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point you brought out. You, you, you're saying, look, I, I don't know where we're going to be beyond three years. And it reminds me of that age-old generic interview question, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And that's humans we're talking about. Technology is, is progressing even faster than that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, you wouldn't have thought that last year, like Elon Musk would have shot that car, right? The, the truck. So like, on it, there's, there's no way to... Yeah, yeah, I don't think there's a way to... I, I do think there are some trends, definitely, you know, um, like uh, uh, in medicine, in uh, in healthcare. There, there are some trends that we can definitely see, but I think the point is really not trying to predict. That's also, by the way, for us as a team and in the work we do, I've seen, you know, in the past, we spent a lot of time in the Excel, right? Like, what are the goals? Where are we going to get? What are the capabilities? That's okay. You need to have that as a direction. But you look at that once, and then you focus on progress. You focus on doing, doing, improving, improving, and then you see where you net out. Because again, it's so uncertain. You don't even know. You know, you don't know what you don't know. So I, that's the approach I decided to take uh, <laughs> related to all of this. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, progress is a keyword. Bring, brings me on nicely to the next question. A lot of the members of the innovation community find that. A big roadblock they get is senior leadership buy-in. So, how do you engage and communicate on that end? Yeah, um, it, it's it's super interesting. It has been a it can be a, it, it is a major challenge and it's the major enabler, right? As I'm sure all of us, you know, when you don't have senior leadership support, there's no resources, there's no focus, then you can't. Um, so, for us, what has worked, the first one is really conveying a clear powerful vision and mission you know like setting the right stage of if we don't do this we might not have a business in five years right so you know we know the kodak story these guys invented invented the digital camera then they parked it we know the story on blockbuster where they were able you know they had the chance to buy a netflix for 35 million dollars and they said oh, you know that's a nice niche streaming so we know that that has happened, right? It has happened to us as well, as Pampers, with one of the forms, you know, in the market. We saw that 20 years ago, we started paying attention a few years ago, right? So we know that that happened. So the first one is you need a compelling vision tied to what will happen if you don't act. And it's not about, you know, um, marginal benefits. It's you literally might not have a business in five years. So also looking at macro trends in the industry and seeing how it will not work to continue doing the same thing as we've done because all of those numbers will continue to go down. So that is really powerful. 
The second one is um, the mission needs to be compelling as well. So it's not, you, you have to have the rational arguments, but you need to inspire people on what you're doing. People, people react to inspiration, right? So your mission, your vision needs to be inspiring. Um, and, you know, the, I th- the third one is you need, to, you need to do this in stages. You know, if you go for kind of the full Monty and, hey, I want $40 million and 50 people, that won't work, right? So you need to put it into stages. And, and what has worked for us is to have a pilot. So if we can agree that this is the context and these are the challenges and the macro trends, therefore we need to do something different. This is the best idea we have. Do you have any any other idea? No. Okay, because many times the challenge is people say no, but they don't have any other alternative, right? Those are the naysayers, right? So to me, the best answer there is that, okay, I understand all the challenges you are giving to this new idea. Do you have any other option? No. Okay, so then let's do this one because it's the best thing we have. And then in order to lower the risk aversion and the need for safety, you say, let's do a small scale pilot and let's agree on what the success of the pilot means. You get the pilot and then as you work on the pilot, you need to show constant progress. It doesn't mean that you you know, necessarily reach the goal that you set out to, to reach because this might actually not happen, especially if you have an, you know, an aspirational goal, but you need to show that the trend goes this way. I need to show all those wins. I need to show that it's possible you need to show that you are able to do it. Um, and then eventually, you know, if you have the pilot, you show these successes, you will get more support. You will get more funds. You will get more believers, right? And then you're able to scale a bit more. And then, at least in our experience, to jump the threshold of pilot to scale, you need believers on the other side. So, you know, we, we are a central team. And in the beginning, we said, we need to work in this and this market, right? You know, US, Japan, whatever. When you do that, that works. Like if you do it top down, so, you know, you get top management to agree, that works to a certain extent, right? Uh, so the pilot, the incubation, you can do it. But when you want to do the full transformation, you can't impose it to other people, right? So you need to shift the question and say, who wants to do it? Who believes in this mission? Who believes that if we don't act, you know, this will happen? And who wants to do it with us? And that partnership gets the best of these two groups, let's say. And then you're able to scale. And then once you're able to scale, you know, there are no more arguments against it. It's just a matter of doing it. So this is what has, you know, briefly the last three, four years of iterating and finding different ways. And you honestly, you need to constantly... Uh, pivot the strategy of how you engage top management and how you engage other people as well. You know, you need to, at each stage, find um, how you need to tweak your approach. But if you have this clear vision and mission of what you want to do, that's just part of the game. Because, you know, I remember one day I was like super frustrated. I'm like, no, these people don't get it. And I get these emails and they keep questioning. Uh, And I remember I was actually talking with my dad. And, and he says, um, look, uh, frustration and um, kind of, um, you know, uh, pushing back is just a normal part of change. 
if you weren't doing something really disruptive or transformational, you wouldn't be getting that. But because we are trying to do something as big, that comes with that bill, you know? It comes with people not believing in you, people questioning, uh, and it comes with the frustration. So to me, you know, after that talk, I'm like, that's actually cool. It means we're trying to do something big. So after that, I'm like, it's just part of the game. So it's not personal anymore, you know? It's not that they don't believe in you. It's not that they are not supporting you. It's literally, they have other challenges, and you just need to keep pushing and finding ways to keep push, keep pushing. Yeah. yeah so, so it's not top down or bottom up. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely both. <laughs> it, it's both, and it, you know, I, I do think it varies by stage. So in the beginning, you need a top down because you need the resources and you need empowerment. Um, when you when you want to scale that, then you start to need the the bottoms up, unless you build a massive team and then you can replace another team, which likely doesn't happen. So I think it's by stage. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And we, we, we've spoken a lot about the successes that you guys have been through in you know, both the, tra- the strategic transformation, the, the data piece, but where do you see the biggest opportunity for improvement right now? Um, <clears throat> I see many, so many opportunities. Uh, for us, um, look, we, you know, we have tons of data. We have a great stack you know, tech stack, we are still, I don't want to say 20%, but we are still in the low percentages of how we are really leveraging this. There's so much, you know, and the kind of, the more you do, the more you learn that you had gaps in how you collected the data, in how you analyze the data. So we are all the time running into challenges, you know, that I, I think is just part of, of, of the growth curve, let's say. So for us, I think a major um, challenge is how to continue to master the use of data and how we get you know smarter at that. Um, the other opportunity, I think, is as an organization, um, I believe we need to keep taking more risks and especially being more open to screwing things up, you know, uh, many of us are perfectionists and achievers and blah, blah, blah. So nobody's comfortable with making mistakes and screwing up. But that's the only way to do something different. You know, that's the only way to actually achieve something. So the more we can let go of trying to make it perfect versus just doing it, learning, and then doing it again, I think the better we'll be and, and you know, we we have challenges every day, so so this requires an everyday um, emotional intelligence of dealing with that micro failure. But I do think as organizations, the more we can um, shift our mindset from you know what was the issue and why did you do it and how could have you prevented it to okay, there's an issue. What did you learn? Great. How do we capitalize on that? Great. Let's keep going. So, you know, that's focus, focusing going forward. Um, I would say those two are probably the biggest opportunities. And yeah, and the third one is we keep learning how to work with a full organization. So, you know, our startup team uh, is embedded in a big organization and the, the pains of scale and growth, they come with processes, they come with alignments, they come with a shift 
on, on you know, how we used to operate. And that's still for us uh, a learning process. You know, how do we get the best out of everyone we are working with and do that in, in a positive way? Yeah, absolutely. And for you personally as well, what do you think the, the biggest mistake you made during your career was? Uh, biggest mistake? Um, I think, yeah, I think the, probably the biggest one was, um, there was this time where uh, I had a really different point of view versus my manager. Uh, and part of the organization. And instead of going with what I believed and pushing for that, um, I tried to fit in, let's say, or I tried to, you know, compromise. I think that's the word. I compromised. And I realized I compromised too much, you know, to a point where um, I not only compromised my results and what I thought the impact should have been, but also, also myself, you know, like I compromised on what I thought was right. And then I was unhappy, you know, <laughs> in my work. And I kind of, in the beginning, put it on the outside and blamed others and blamed my boss and Allah and said, you know, yeah, the organization and the processes and, you know, you get into all of this. But then at some point, you know, when you, when you really take, when I took ownership of that and said, okay, you know what? I'm going to do what I think is right. And if the company doesn't think that's right, then, you know, that's cool. We part ways. That, that's really the decision I took for myself. But when I did that and I became more genuine and honest to myself, things got really better. So, you know, all these barriers and, and these differences were really, I would even say mostly in my head. And I was, you know, kind of, projecting that they were not solvable and when i got really clear on that they were sold uh, and the you know and all the benefits came so i think the mistake there was not uh, not having listened to myself more and just going with, with that no matter what i thought the consequence might be because the consequences were actually really good that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, you had a pretty, a um, no, no, I, I get that. And I think that having a, an attitude of, of extreme ownership, uh, a guy called Jocko Willink wrote, wrote a really good book on this, um, ex Navy SEAL, but, um, in, you know, you, you've had a pretty established career. What's the best piece of advice you received throughout that time? Um, the best piece of advice, um, that's a good one. Let me let me think. Um, I think I, I think it's actually related to what I just said. The the best advice was you need to be really clear on what you want. And I think many many times we are not. We are good at complaining, or we are good at you know being frustrated. But when I was asked, okay, so what do you want? I was like, I didn't dare even say what I wanted. So. The piece of advice that I got at the time was, uh, and I keep getting, uh, in different ways is being very clear on what you want and focusing on that end result. Don't waste your time or energy on the, the story and the drama of the situation. Just be very clear on that end result and go for the result. Uh, that has since then worked wonderfully for me because there will always be challenges and if you 
lose your energy in the challenges, you don't get anywhere. If you, you know, understand there are challenges, but keep focusing on your end result, you get there eventually. Who's your favorite uh, author, in, whether that's like a general business perspective or, or more data focused? Mm, I would say I have many. Uh, one of my favorite books, and therefore authors, is um, um, Christensen. So, this, you know, um, The Innovator's Dilemma, that book for this work and everything we've talked was, uh, was paramount because I could really understand what was going on, you know. So um, I think he's great. Um, Seth Godin, definitely. Seth Godin, I, even, I think I even like his blog more than his books because it's that, it's that daily inspiration that gets you on purpose, on impact, on making a difference. And I would say another um, influencer more on the um, personal growth aspect is Vishen Lakiani. So he's the guy who created Mind Valley and just listening to their podcast once a week makes a major difference for me. So it's very inspirational. Great. And last question, what advice would you give for aspiring leaders in um, whether it's in data or maybe in, in marketing transformation as well? Um, I would say uh, the most important thing is mindset. Honestly, that's, that's true. Like, I would say a couple of things. One is, and that have personally worked for me, that, that one is you have an ambition or you have a goal and this requires you to become someone else. Otherwise, it, it's not a big ambition. It's not a big goal, right? If you can achieve it with who you are, what you know, that's too small. So my first advice is you need to set an ambition, ambitious goal and then you need to know who you need to become to actually achieve that. So for me, um, just as an example, I was a traditional marketer in PNG. I didn't know anything about this, right? But then when I said I want to be the growth leader for Startup Pampers, and this was my vision for like four years, I needed to become that person, right? I needed to learn new skills. I needed to talk to different people. I needed to go to different conferences. I needed to take way more risks, and I needed to feel very comfortable admitting I didn't know and I need to go and talk with someone who had, you know, maybe seven years less experience, but way more experience in the subject matter. So knowing who you need to become and then acting on that, I think it's, it's critical. And the other thing I would say um, in terms of uh, like people working with data, yes, we need to master the tools. Yes, we need to work with big sets of data and have great, you know, business questions and hypotheses. But the magic happens when you also have the empathy for what the user is trying to do. So I see some people that are great at, you know, querying and connecting and, and finding insights. But the great ones are those who actually think of what's this person trying to achieve, what they're trying to do. And then looking at the data through the lens of the empathy with that user, because the insights that they bring are those that change the product. You know, they change what you are trying to do in a much bigger way than just the small scope of maybe the question you were answering. So I would say um, the growth mindset to become who you want to become, the proficiency on the skills, but with the empathy, with the understanding of what the user is trying to do. 
Wise words there from Augusta Marola, Associate Director of Marketing Transformation at PG. Thanks for joining us. Paul, thank you so much. And I hope it was useful and interesting. I'm very happy to you know, continue the conversation. Absolutely. 